Hello, this is the check in. Thank you for checking in with us today for community connection and conversation over the airwaves. I'm Janet Saidi. In our pre pandemic world, what was on our minds was an election year rife with issues of disinformation partisan political messaging, and divided discourse. Now a global crisis has emerged, and we're still facing the same challenges of fragmented information sources, political divisiveness, and partisan discourse, even something as non-political as wearing a CDC-recommended face mask in this climate can carry with it a political connotation. This crisis has highlighted these divisions in some ways, while we hope bringing us together in other ways. It's also revealed for many of us that a huge part of navigating any crisis is about the information we're getting as a crisis unfolds. So how do we navigate through the mixed and divided messaging to get accurate information that keeps us safe and also, on the bigger picture, supports our global relationships and our democracy going forward? Are we going to come through this more unified or more divided? These are not small questions, and here to help us unpack the big questions is MU Professor Brian Houston. Brian teaches in MU's communications program and co-directs the university's Disaster and Community Crisis Center. Professor Brian Houston, welcome to the check-in again. Thanks for having me, Janet. And you also can join the conversation. How are you getting your information? Where are you going to get your information? What are you listening to, watching, reading? for information that's become more important than ever during this crisis. So, Brian Houston, uh, again, welcome back to the check-in. Last time you were on, this was beginning, this whole crisis was beginning to unfold, and a really big question was, how is the community going to respond? Well, it looks like, you know, we could, look, looking back now, a few weeks later, the community responded well. The community's done well here in mid-Missouri and, and everywhere, you could say. The question of how the public health messaging has gone may be not so good. Things seem to be really di divided, like I was saying. Why is it political to wear a, a mask that's recommended by the CDC? Uh, what do you think? How have we done as a community, and how are we doing with the political messaging? Yeah, those are uh, – thanks for having me on again, Janet. Those are big questions, and there's sort yes. of uh, a lot there to sort of unpack and think about. So. I mean, I, I think you're right that, um, you know, overall, I think people and communities, you know, particularly here in, in mid-Missouri and Columbia have done really well in terms of, you know, uh, social distancing, of just kind of um, uh, making necessary trips to places, sort of limiting that interaction and contact. And, and I think you're seeing um, – some of the dividends of that in that we have sort of low rates of um, positive cases of COVID-19 here in the community, you know, low number of uh, really critical um, hospitalizations and, mm -hmm. and death and these sorts of things. So I think, you know, overall, um, we've done well. Um, I do think now, you know, um, I think all of us have had enough of this, right, and would love mm -hmm. to move on and get back to normal and get back to the things that we enjoy. Um, I think it's sort of starting to unravel for maybe some people sooner rather than others, and, and so we're kind of beginning to see that. Um, and then, you know, to your second point, which I think maybe we'll talk more about, the, the public health messaging, I yes. think that that's really been um, – 
one of the most challenging aspects of this and hasn't uh, really helped um, or, or been effective sort of overall. Yeah, you're right. Let's let's dig a little bit more into that. So, you know, when you last joined us, that tension between public health messages and political messages was becoming apparent. But now I would say it is a key feature of this response. You're seeing this with President Trump and Anthony Fauci on the national side, but you're also seeing it, you know, and to, to make a bipartisan example, you've got a Democratic Governor de Blasio in New York um, really having mixed messages with his New York public health, with which some reporting now says that delayed the New York response. It wasn't the only factor, but it could have been a factor in delaying their crisis response. So you've got the, these political messages that have become a feature of how this crisis is unfolding. Brian, what do you think is the origin of this kind of tension? Is it something you've seen before in your research? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the politicization of uh, disasters and crises is common. In fact, you know, it sort of always happens at some point. Um, we begin to see sort of politics creep into these events and political interests and political territory sort of influence um, uh, the course of action um, in terms of response, in terms of recovery, in terms of rebuilding. And so politics are sort of ever present in these events. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, politics is very much about what are our priorities? What do we value? And so in these crisis situations, a lot of those, what do we value? What do we prioritize? Those, those issues come up. And so politics come up with it. Um, at the same time, certainly this is kind of an extreme example of, of all that. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be a, you know, this is going to be a situation that we're going to be teaching about and talking about in public health communication for a long, long time to come. Um, because there's been so many layers of it, um, and frankly, so many things have not gone right um, or have been problematic, and, and so there's going to be lots of examples here um, to, to sort of think about and study moving forward, and, and hopefully there's some things we've learned here that will influence the next time, of course, uh, only time will tell with that. Okay, well, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, let me remind people, you are listening to The Check-In. Thanks for checking in with us today. We're talking with Amy Professor Brian Houston about communications and crisis. How do we get accurate information during a crisis, and how do public officials manage the message, as uh, Professor Houston says. What are we going to be teaching about this uh, in the coming years? How are you getting good information these days? Is Twitter okay for you? Radio, TV, newspapers? Are you watching the president's press conferences live? What do you trust or not? Maybe you yourself are a journalist covering this crisis. There's a lot of journalists in our listening area. How are you navigating the information you need as a journalist or as a citizen to effectively report this or just to keep you and your family safe in this crisis as it unfolds? Let us know all of this that's on your mind. And I should say really quickly, um, I think I said Governor de Blasio in New York. He's a mayor, um, but you could maybe see the same thing with the governor there too. Um, Brian, you just mentioned how we'll be teaching this what would you say will be the key features, uh, asking you to go to the future and look back, which is not easy. Um, what would you think might be the key features that you would discuss with a class in looking at this? 
I mean, one of the, you know, there's a couple of sort of fundamentals of crisis communication that we already teach, which are a couple of things. One is be consistent in messaging. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're, if you're communicating to the public from uh, a government position or public health authority, you want to be consistent in what the message is. It needs to be consistent at sort of all different layers of, of the government. And so, you know, we already know that to be true. Um, and at the same time, you know, the communication around this event has been some of the most inconsistent um, that I think I've ever sort of observed uh, in terms of the different messages that are, that are coming out. Um, and then the second piece to that is to be transparent in terms of acknowledge what is known and what is not known and acknowledge uncertainty. And again, a, a lot of that has not occurred in this situation. So, you know, I don't know that, that as much um, we have learned new things about crisis communication necessarily through this event, but we've just, in, we've just seen when those basic tenets of crisis communication aren't followed, how badly the response can go. And, and I think, you know, inconsistency is one of the biggest challenges that, that I think we've seen here where the messages have changed so frequently um, and have been different from different sources. And you, you were mentioning masks. I mean, I think masks are a great example of that where, you know, early on the message of, on masks were, um, you know, you don't need to wear a mask. You know, if you're mm-hmm. not ill, don't wear a mask. We don't need masks. And in fact, uh, even on like the MU campus, the initial um, signs that were placed around that encouraged people to practice social distancing, to wash hands, one of the pieces included on that sign was, you don't need a mask. Well, mm-hmm. you know, now I think our, our understanding is evolving that masks are quite protective in this situation. And so perhaps we should be wearing masks, you know, so now that message has changed, maybe based on the science or, you know, maybe based on other things. Um, and so that message has not been necessarily con- consistent. Um, and then when, when the, when the message is, yes, we should be wearing masks, you know, and we've seen examples like at, at the White House of this where, uh, for example, President Trump might be uh, communicating a message of we should wear masks, but he's not wearing a mask himself, you know, or Vice President Pence is visiting folks in the hospital and not wearing a mask despite the message being that we should be wearing masks. So. That inconsistency of message that uh, really leaves us kind of confused as citizens about what we should be doing, and it allows sort of, you know, you talked about the the political beliefs and sort of the polarization to creep in because suddenly this this thing that should be a consistent message becomes quite politicized and sort of a sign of, of who you believe and what you believe. Yes, which seems very unfortunate. So, of course, some messaging is going to be inconsistent. I I like your two criteria here, consistency and transparency. So that's something that you're sort of arming us with as consumers. And I'm a journalist, but also a consumer of journalism. Um, We can look for consistency and we can look for transparency. And that's how you know that you're getting accurate, good sourcing. Um, Some information is going to be inconsistent in a crisis and that involves a virus and a disease that is changing and our knowledge of it is changing, which is all the more reason, I suppose, that it's important to have these messages coordinated. And, and you know, this is something that I'm learning a lot in observing this crisis is how the message 
it's not just messaging about the crisis in some ways. It is our response to the crisis. It really relies on the messaging. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But Brian, the other thing that you mentioned with the consistency is the transparency. And you've given lots of examples here that are interesting. What are examples that you're seeing of a lack of transparency? Anything come to mind where you'd like to see more transparency in the messaging? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been, uh, you know, there's, there really has been a, um, and I kind of, I default to sort of thinking about the federal government and the federal response and sort of the, the messages we're getting at the federal level. And so when I, when I think about that, I think about, a, you know, a lack of a lot of transparency where, you know, one of the things about this, this crisis is, you know, this is a new virus that we don't fully understand. We don't know exactly what the course of it's going to be. There's, you know, there's, there's actually kind of more unknowns than there are knowns. And so when we're in a situation like that, we would hope that our public health authority is being transparent and acknowledging kind of what is not known, you know, and acknowledging, um, you know, sort of maybe some of what are the possibilities that might happen here. And I, I think, you know, in a lot of cases, um, we haven't gotten that from our federal governments and sort of from the national response. So, you know, when President Trump is saying something like, um, you know, this isn't going to be a big deal or this isn't going to affect many people or we've got this under control, um, you know, that may be what he believes in that situation, um, but it doesn't sort of uh, transparently acknowledge the uncertainty around that sort of prediction, you know, that that this is still evolving. We're not sure exactly. There are some some chances that things get worse. So some of that acknowledging of what is not known can can really help us better um, have some trust that we're being told what is actually going on as opposed to just being kind of fed a message um, that kind of betrays the, the true reality of the crisis that, that we all know because we're seeing it unfold over time and how complex it is. And so I think we want and need some of that in the messaging that we're receiving as well. Okay, you're listening to The Check-In on KBIA. Thank you for checking in with us. We're talking about communications during this crisis. How are public officials informing us about the coronavirus crisis? What do you think? How are you getting your information? Uh, Where do you go? What do you trust? Uh, Let us know if you're using social media, if you're listening to the radio, watching TV. What are you reading? Where do you get the information you trust? Maybe you are not sure about wearing a mask because you feel like it's a political statement now is going out and enjoying the economy. That's also sort of become a political statement. There are protests going on. What do you think of the decisions people are making and that you're making and how are you navigating all of this, if possible, in a nonpartisan way? And we do have a call from um, one of my colleagues, editor Catherine Reed, uh, who's with the Columbia, Missouri. And Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Janet. What are your uh, observations, comments for us as we're talking about crisis communications? And it's really nice to hear from you, Catherine, as a journalist and and as an editor navigating these things. What's on your mind? Well, it's been very difficult to cover this crisis in a way that allows us to contribute to um, consistency in, Mm -hmm. in what the public understands about um, the virus and measures that can or should be taken to reduce infections and deaths. And so it's all this nuance and complexity that has to be conveyed in really good health uh, news stories. 
that sometimes gets lost. And um, so I think that it's it, the public has been looking for sometimes really sort of black and white, solid, mm. you know, information in a situation where it's been impossible to provide it. It's not, if not impossible, very, very difficult because, as Brian noticed, noted already, what we know about this virus has evolved so quickly and it's changed so much that we have been in the situation where we've been reporting incrementally on, you know, what we now know, like day by day. And that has changed. And I think that that's contributed to the public's confusion. And unfortunately, I don't think that the public, the general public, is generally equipped to understand that that's just how science is hmm. and that that's, that is a, you know, a sort of a normal process in understanding something like a new virus, um, that there's these incremental you know, changes in what scientists understand and that necessarily that means that you know, in communicating it, it's going to seem that we're being inconsistent, but actually what we're doing is just trying to provide people with the best information we have day to day. You know, so that's all. You know, that was all I really wanted to say. That you know, that's made this incredibly challenging, um, because you know we think of our first job as healthcare journalists to provide people with the best possible information to make them feel safer. You know, about the decisions they make and the changes that, that they've had to make in their lives. Yes, Catherine, if you don't mind staying on for a moment, let's get Brian's answer. But you're really bringing up an interesting point, which is that nuance and context is really hard to convey. And frankly, lies are easy to convey and very strong. Yes. <laughs> and and wishful right. thinking yeah. is easy to convey. Simplified. Right. right. And simplified information yes. is very easy to convey. Right. It's, when you ask, it's when you ask the reader to like really walk with you through like an, you know, a, a fairly long story to understand, you know, um, transmissions, you know, like how the virus is transmitted and uh, under what circumstances and outside versus inside and in, in a place where there's a high infection rate versus a low infection rate. All of these really compound the challenge for healthcare journalists. Okay. Yes. Brian, what do you think? I mean, this is a huge challenge all the time, and particularly in a crisis like Catherine says, where the science, the virus is emerging all the time and therefore changing. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, what strikes me sort of um, kind of in response to, to Catherine's comments was, um, you know, because we haven't had strong communication and leadership um, from the federal government in this crisis. And I'm, I'm thinking about like the Centers for Disease Control who have been kind of muted in terms of their ability to really get public health information out about this event. I've seen in a lot of cases, you know, journalists picking up the really heavy lifting of, you know, digging in. And as Catherine was talking about, you know, writing at length about transmission and models of transmission and different sort of variables. And in some ways, journalists have almost had to pick up more of the work in this crisis than mm -hmm. we might have normally um, uh, had them do because we've had so little uh, insightful, sort of thoughtful information from our federal government in this response that we're seeing journalists pick up the work, we're seeing mayors and sort of you know, local communities pick up a lot of the work here in absence of strong federal leadership uh, during this crisis. Yeah. And I think, and when Brian, 
I, I assume when you're saying strong federal leadership, what, what we're really talking about is the lack of um, respect for science at the highest levels of government. And, you know, some of the assertions that have been made at some of the briefings, um, for example, quote, unquote, we don't even know what this thing is. Well, that's simply not true. A lot is known about what this thing is. It's a new virus. It's in the group of coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a good thing that Dr. Anthony Fauci stepped on the stage because, um, you know, although it has had a point and counterpoint sort of feeling to it, at least there's someone um, on, on that stage with real scientific knowledge and credentials who has been, of course, had to, you know, be in this incredibly awkward position of having to counter some of the actual misinformation and disinformation that has come out of the White House. Yeah. Brian, have you seen this sort of tension between science, and Catherine's naming it as science versus political uh, partisanship, um, have you have you seen this conflict happening in our history or in previous crises at all? I tend to look back on our historic historic crises, even you know nine eleven, but certainly going back to the world wars, and you feel like it's a time when the country came together and there was solidarity. Um, is this uh, unique? This does seem to be sort of an exceptional situation. I mean, I think that. You know, there have often been tensions between, you know, science and, and culture, science and religion, um, you know, for example, in other sort of historical events and kind of through our history. But on this scale and in sort of the modern age to see um, science and, and public health and, you know, medical insight sort of um, muted and, and kept quiet. Uh, during a public health crisis is really uh, phenomenal. And, and um, again, I mean, the, the Centers for Disease Control are, you know, it, are known to be the global leaders in public health, and they've been um, unable to really get information out um, uh, in this situation. And that is um, really unimaginable that any, you know, I would have never predicted that we would be in a situation where during a public health crisis, the basic public health information wouldn't be um, favored and acknowledged, but here we are. Right. Yeah. Well, but I, I guess I, I see the federal government's um, response to climate change and the science of climate change as somewhat um, similar, although yeah. over a much more prolonged period where there's been an actual disavowal of the science from the, from the federal government, not just one administration either. And, you know, I guess I see that as somewhat um, a something of a precedent too, because that has really also created this confusion in the public's mind and um, about what the truth is, or it did for some time. And in that case, of course, the the news media contributed to that, you know, by, um, making the error of false balance in some of its reporting, presenting climate change as a debate long after it ceased to be one. Right. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for your call. And uh, let me also say thanks so much for what you're doing right now, covering this with consistency (laughs) and also, I must say, transparency. Um, So we really appreciate it. And thank you so much for calling and joining the conversation for a little bit for us. I hope you'll come back. Thanks a lot, Janet. Okay. Take care, Catherine. 
Uh, let me just remind our listeners, you're listening to the check, and we've just got a couple more minutes, but if you want to join us, you can do that. Um, are you troubled about how to get information during this crisis? Um, it seems like a really good time to just watch C-SPAN a lot. Um, I'm also an NPR fan, of course. Brian, one question we had, you know, as we shift to reopening, uh, I'd like to know what you're concerned about. But one question we had in our producer, Christopher Husted, was asking, you know, have we reached an oversaturation point where the public's reluctant to take on more information? Um, are people just tired of this virus? Um, how are we going to keep people engaged with learning more about it, both as public health officials, as journalists? How do we keep people engaged with the information? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and um, I think one that we don't have an answer to, but will sort of learn more as this uh, progresses. There's, there's a, um, a study about uh, in the aftermath of the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake in San Francisco, and it, it sort of examined how much people wanted to talk about and hear about the earthquake after the event. And, and what they found out about it, what they sort of found in this study was you know, after a period of time, people didn't want to hear any more about the earthquake or think about it or whatever, but they still wanted to talk about it. So it's like, we don't want to hear, we don't want to take in more information, even though it's still on our minds and we might have things to say. And so I can imagine us getting to that point with this event where we're sick of hearing about it, we don't want to hear about it anymore, but it's still there and we, we have the need to sort of talk about it. Um, and that that produces kind of a tough situation to be in because um, we're not maybe engaging the information that we need to, even though it's on our mind and still affecting our behavior. And so that will be something that we'll have to watch and frankly study in this event and see how uh, it plays out because we, you know, we know that we're nowhere near the end of this um, and that we're going to have different waves and peaks and valleys in terms of this event for the you know, upcoming months you know, at least. And, and so we'll see how those things play out, but it's definitely going to be a challenge. We, I think we all have a certain amount of, you know, COVID fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, and as we know, sometimes when we get tired, we don't sort of uh, behave or perform as effectively as we would otherwise. So that certainly is a situation that we're getting into or approaching. Well, Brian, as a last question, because this has flown by and we're almost out of time, do you think there's anything that we might learn from this? You mentioned this earlier that we might learn from this. Do you see any positive changes or constructive changes coming out uh, from this crisis uh, when it, that have to do with how we communicate crises? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we will move moving forward. Um, this is a reminder to take crises seriously, to take preparation seriously, to take action seriously. I think we got a little comfortable in the fact that we were safe and secure and, and this thing wouldn't happen, it couldn't happen, but here we've learned that it has. And I think that that is, is good to sort of keep us aware and alert moving forward. Um, and so I hope that that's one piece of change that we sort of experience as a result of all of this. All right. Uh, Professor Brian Houston. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. You were thrown some huge questions today and handled every single one of them. So thank you so much. Hope you'll come back again.
Anytime. Thanks for having me, Janet. Okay, take care. So that's it for today's check-in. Thank you for joining us and checking in with us today. Again, thanks to Professor Brian Houston. Also, thanks to Catherine Reed, editor at the Columbia Missourian, for joining us to give a journalist perspective. If you're listening and needing help right now, you can go to 211. Call 211. The United Way of Missouri is there to help. You can also go to comohelps.org where you can see city, county, and nonprofit groups coming together, including the United Way. You can give and get help at comohelps.org. The check-in is produced by Christopher Husted and me with KBIA News Director Ryan Famuliner, Zia Kelly, and Hannah France. Good luck to Madison Conti, who's been a member of our team but has moved on to a really cool reporting gig that she's doing. KBIA's health reporting is produced by Sebastian Martinez Valdivia and Rebecca Smith. You can see their reporting at kbia.org. We'll be back here to check in tomorrow. We're talking about political discourse, how the crisis is impacting the way we frame our politics and the way we vote. Join us for that. Until then, I'm Janet Saidi. Stay well and stay in touch.